Daniel from Victoria, British Columbia. Welcome to the show, Captain Mitchell. The world's best semi-Catholic PG-13 podcast. Better than the one with the Australian guy, the wrestler, or the priest. So, welcome to the show. You can watch the show online and YouTube or Facebook. Subscribe and have a podcast. And support the show at Patreon.com slash the show. We enjoy 60 minutes of Edmund and his friends. Thank you, Topo Chico. I'm the last ball. You staying home tonight? I hadn't planned on it, no. Plan on it. <laughs> Minus five, four, three, two, one. Booster ignition and liftoff of Discovery. You're gonna die. I'm Raymond Arroyo. We'll see you next time. Right, thanks for being on this show. I think, um... I think I first came across you, I think I've seen you a little bit online, but I think um, the big thing was the, the Roe versus Wade video that we had recently, or, or that you made recently, um, and I think I kind of reached out to you, and, and you've been you've been in the trenches for a long time, you've been in ministry for a long time, so thanks for coming on the podcast, I just wanted to talk to you, because you just seem, I just, sometimes I get this intuition, this gut feeling, like, man, I really want to talk to this person, um, your video, I, I really appreciated the video, maybe we'll talk about that a little bit, but... For for, listen, for listeners who are unfamiliar, for my mom, hey, <laughs> my mom hold on too, one second. Well, although hey, she's familiar with stuff, yeah. Hey, hey, Dominic, can you go back in the other room? Okay. Ryan, you asked for kids to be involved here. And, no, no, and, I, and I'd love involved. to see them. No, can uh, you? Bring, no, don't wait. No, don't wait. <laughs> <laughs> go in the other room. <laughs> okay. Uh, for our listeners at home who are unfamiliar, our millions of listeners, could you give people like a little little intro on you? Where are you from? What you're about? Yeah. Um, so my, my wife and I, uh, we just celebrated 20 years of marriage uh, last November, and nice. we uh, live here in West St. Paul, Minnesota, with our four sons, 17, 14, 13, and 12. Wow. Um, we, are, uh, we were foster parents and adopted kids through, through foster care. So that's kind of the, the journey there. But uh, for the last 10 years, I've been working for St. Paul's Outreach um, in a bunch of different roles. But most recently and currently, I'm the, the content director for uh, SPO. And, uh, but previous to that, my wife and I had experienced a call to, um, call to serve college students and, and young adults. And we were a part of the founding of a group called Youth Arise North America in um, in Tempe, Arizona, in the early 2000s, uh, but we first met and uh, where we got married were, was at the Newman Center at the University of Missouri. We were both graduated. She she was working on a master's. I was uh, the campus minister, but we were at the University of Missouri Newman Center, and um, that was where I sort of experienced, uh, or that's where I started in campus ministry in '97, uh, summer of '97, and have been working with college students and young adults uh, ever since. So what what got you into campus ministry, or what was your were you, were you raised Catholic? I was, I was, um, yeah. In fact, uh, my mom, who will probably be listening, hi mom. Uh, yeah. She she was a religious sister for fifteen years of her life and discerned a call, and I'm great, grateful uh, out of the convent. Um, and uh, so she was a liturgist, organist. And, uh, so I like grew up, literally grew up in church and, uh, yeah, so gr- grew up and was born and raised Catholic and in that whole kind of world, Catholic school all the way through high school. 
Um, but then, but then ended up at um, William Jewell College near mm. Kansas City, Missouri. Okay, and that's really where I experienced kind of my adult conversion. Yeah, uh, was in that was in that context. It wasn't a Catholic. It's not a Catholic college. It's a formerly Baptist college. Yeah, so I was evangelized by kind of evangelical Protestants, and thankfully they never encouraged me to leave the church. Yeah. And I didn't have any reason to look elsewhere and just continue to pursue Catholicism. What, what was at it that, that point? What was it that was the uh, kind of conversion moment, or what? What was kind of the the spark of that? Was it some type of event? Yeah, or group of people, or it, it was both actually. Um, William Jewell was interesting because it, it's um, it's sort of socially, you know, or at least I don't know if this is really still true, but it's a small campus. It was about twelve hundred students. I had a fantastic experience there and, but it was, it was kind of socially segregated Mm -hmm. in that it was, there was this sort of strong Greek system, fraternities and sororities on this small campus. And, and then everybody who kind of wasn't in that world. And I was in the kind of the Greek world and, and yet there were a lot of, um, and there weren't too many kind of strong Christians in that world, but there were a lot of kind of strong Christians who were not in that world. And, you'd sort of look over the social tracks, if you will, and just, you could, you could experience sort of a, a life and a vitality that this group of Christians had on campus that I just didn't see anywhere. And I really hadn't experienced growing up as a Catholic. And so their, their joy, their freedom, mm. uh, just the way in which they lived their life was really attractive. And, um, there was a guy, uh, who just pursued me and just kept inviting me to things. And I kept saying no to those things. And two or three years went on. And, uh, he ended up inviting me on this retreat and I had remembered, I had some cool or kind of strong retreat experiences in, in high school. And I sort of knew that that was the right time in, in life. I felt like it was time to take a step like that. And so I kind of took a risk on that. And that was where I heard the gospel proclaimed for the first time and really saw that, um, Jesus was supposed to be <laughs> the most important and, or much more important than he was in my life. And yeah. that began a process of conversion, um, that I'm still kind of digging into today. Wow. What, what were the type of retreats that you went on as a high schooler and how were those different than uh, well, the college ones? Or that yeah. College? Well, the, the high school one, I, I went to Creighton prep in Omaha, Nebraska mm-hmm. and, uh, as a Jesuit high school and they would do. Well, I think they called it like junior, it was like the encounter, I mean, they called it the encounter retreat. They'd be like talking about encounter before everybody else was talking about encounter. (laughs) Or naming naming all of their ministries and events encounter. (laughs) Right. Right. That was like the late 80s, you know, it was like the late 80s. Yeah. And, um, and so, and uh, I had a really profound experience there. And actually, probably the most profound experience of it that weekend, like in high school was, um, a priest for the first time helped me make a true, full, and sincere confession. Mm. Like he kind of walked me through, like here's how you do it. Yeah, and and I still to this day, I still to this day, even literally today, I, <laughs> I went to confession today, and I'm still using this this sort of model. But he just had me reflect on the seven deadly sins, mm. and just kind of walk through each of those and kind of prayerfully reflect and on where those are taking root in my life. And yeah, anyway, so that was, uh, I had never experienced the, 
the grace and the freedom that could come from sacramental confession. Yeah. So that was, that was huge. But then in, in college, um, it was, it was different. Uh, it was just more like talks and small groups and, and that sort of thing. Whereas the, the other one was, um, you know, they did these things like, you know, your parents and all your friends, parents or friends of your parents or whatever, and your aunts and uncles, brothers and sisters, they like write you those letters, Yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, (laughs) and for a kind of affirmation junkie, um, that really spoke to me. Um, and that was a really, I I don't know, it sounds kind of cheesy now, but I think I experienced kind of something of God's love for me, you know? Yeah. That was, but that's all in high school. So there was none of that kind of shenanigans at this college <laughs> retreat. But um, it's, it's a great thing. It just, you know, but it's just more like here's the gospel, and we need to respond, and we're going to help you make that response. And um, but, but probably the most important thing that happened was I got involved in a men's group. Yeah. Um, with these guys who were kind of on, like I said, on the other side of the social tracks. That was in college, and it was in that men's group that I learned to pray and I learned to kind of take a look at sin in my life and begin to try to root that out. But this is all outside of the context of the church. I I went back to mass and went back to confession and started making that a regular habit. But I was still kind of in this Protestant world while I was going to the Catholic church. Um, And it was after college that I experienced this kind of call, um, call to ministry. Yeah. It's so important, man. Like, I'm realizing more and more as I get older, you know, communicating with different friends and um, also like in ministry and thinking about this a lot. I used to, um, you know, there's such an emphasis on sometimes in the past, there's been such an emphasis on community and sometimes over and Mm -hmm. above, maybe even sometimes the gospel or catechesis Mm -hmm. or those things. And I I would always like, ah, community events or like community stuff. I kind of like, ah, but uh, but the idea of um, the idea of surrounding yourself with people that are gonna in, in, influence you, I'm realizing more and more oh, right. as I get older that it's like so hard. It's so hard for people to have no one in their life that is also trying to pursue whatever the thing is that you're trying to pursue, whether that's you know excellence in sports or you know or or more importantly you know excellence in the spiritual life or holiness or um, or even just trying to figure life out in general. Like if you, if you're, if you're going through a, a phase of skepticism, like to surround yourself with people who are going to be, be seriously skeptical and because you, you just, you'll just put it off. You'll just put it off for You'll just be like, well, yep. and then you'll never make any movements or re- you know? Um, so it sounds like in, in college that was really important. It was like, suddenly you're making a yeah. decision for yourself. That's yep. a new stage but then you're surrounded by other people who are trying to make that decision. Right. Because what was happening was, I mean, I was living, I, I didn't like move out. I lived in the fraternity house until I graduated. And that, I mean, that place wasn't helping me spiritually, Yeah. but these guys, I mean, these guys I, I would meet with every Sunday night and I was pretty honest, like, you know, talking about drinking and whatever else. And, you know, it was like Wednesday, Friday, Saturday night. That was like the nights to, to do that. And I'd show up on Sunday still kind of in, in kind of both worlds, you know, and they, and they didn't, these guys, they didn't sort of reject me 
with that. And, and they just continue to kind of accept me and love me and kind of continue to kind of call me forward. And I don't know, maybe you've heard, uh, what is Andy Stanley says something like, you know, show, again, kind of cheesy, but I think it's true. Show me your friends. I'll show you your future. Mm. And, and I think it's true. You know, I think if it wasn't for those guys, I don't know if it would have, if it would have taken, you yeah. know, the, if the conversion would have really taken root. Yeah. And those guys helped me kind of be the bridge to get to post-college. And then I could begin seeing some things differently and uh, had some other encounters as well um, with the scriptures and with other Christians and a vision for life uh, beyond just kind of the college thing that um, was really, really important. So uh, what, what, what was the moment when you decided that you wanted to get involved with, with campus ministry? I mean, did you, what, what would you major in in college? <laughs> I, uh, well, I was going to, I was going to be a social studies teacher, like teach high school. Interesting. And then, yeah, and then they have you, um, they have you like, what is it like? You're like shadowing, uh, it wasn't, I wasn't a student teacher, but I was like shadowing a, it was like a middle school, like secondary education would be like fifth grade, to. Uh, 12th grade. Yeah. And when I thought like secondary education, I was like, I'm going to teach high school. Well, they stuck me in like a middle school, middle school classroom, like in the back. And I'm like three days a week just going, this is terrible. (laughs) Like I never, ever, ever want to do this. Yeah. And, and, and I just decided, well, I'm, I remember actually I had like a, some kind of required class for that major. And I like, didn't want to do the assignment. So I'm like, I'm, dropping that major. Yeah. Therefore I'm not doing this assignment. So I, anyway, yeah. I, so I just became a history major. Right? So yeah, I yeah. graduated with a degree in history. Um, but it was, it was, uh, it was actually an experience where sort of this call to ministry happened when, I, so I graduated from college in 1996 and went to the Olympics, uh, with three or four of my kind of close friends from college and we spent a month in Atlanta in 1996. We had a job with Speedo, and they paid us a ridiculous amount of money to just basically do nothing. We ended up, uh, we ended up actually trying to s- kind of like hawk Speedo gear in downtown <laughs> Atlanta. But there wasn't like a lot of Olympic kind of traffic. It was like a lot of people like kind of downtown, inner city Atlanta. And we were experiencing all sorts of, you know, the, the poverty and homelessness and, yeah. and we were there with our, I mean, it was, a, it was ridiculous. We and you're there like, like, right. They're like white, buy a speedo, <laughs> buy a speedo, buy a, buy a goggles. I mean, you know, and so, I mean, there was all sorts of things that, that, that went down, but, um, the long story short there, there was a, this encounter that I had with a, a person who was, um, kind of was asking for, for help. And, I won't, I won't, I won't go into the whole story, but it was in that encounter that I walked away from it. And kind of for the first time I opened my heart to, um, you know, uh, the scriptures say that, you know, whatsoever you do for the, the least of, of mine, you do unto me. And that was the experience I had was, was what I, I, I experienced serving and kind of encountering Jesus in a, a really profound way. And as I walked home that night, I, I had this sense, it wasn't an audible sense, but just a sense that Jesus was calling me into a life of, of ministry. Mm. And then that began a discernment process of like, well, okay, I'm open to that. I love that. Um, 
where would that be with whom? And uh, I was working at my alma mater. I was an admission counselor. I was helping college students make decisions about college. Or I'm sorry, I was helping high school students make decisions about college. And they had this thing called uh, Serve and Celebrate. I, I don't know why I still remember the name of it. But, like, <laughs> we all went to do, like, we were, there's, like, the staff and the students spent a whole day serving at a bunch of different places. Then we had, like, this big, like, dinner and party afterwards. And I remember in the experience of that dinner was like, this is what I would want to do for the rest of my life. I, I'd want to serve with college students and celebrate what, what we're doing. And, um, and that was where I kind of knew that would be where I wanted to, to pursue. And, and an opportunity came up uh, to serve at the University of Missouri Newman Center later that, uh, later that summer. <laughs> hey, buddy. You got to go into the room, bud. Uh. Sorry. Um, that's awesome. Wait, so that's when you decided to serve at the Newman Center when that opportunity came up. Got it. Okay, I'm, yeah, ba- I'm yeah, back. Yeah, I'm back. I, just, I was like, the Lord says, like, ministry. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. I was like, that could be anything. And so then just kind of became clear it was going to be with college students. And yeah. So were you dating at the time or no? No, no. Um, hey, we gotta go either in the other room or outside, okay? All right. <laughs> so, no, no. In fact, uh, I wasn't dating at the time and kind of took a year off of dating altogether to, yeah. to kind of answer this question of, of what sort of ministry would the Lord invite me into. Yeah. And, um, but about a week after I arrived at the Newman Center, that's where I met uh, my wife, Jill. So she was a grad student, and she was serving with Life Team. So it was like a university parish. There was campus ministry, but also, you know, families and you know, youth ministry and religious ad at this parish. Yeah. And so she was a, she was a volunteer with uh, life team. And I was just glad she, she, I wasn't sure if she was a college student or post-college or high school. I was just glad she wasn't high school or college, <laughs> Yeah, you know? So, um, but that's how we, that's how we met. So we met about a week after I arrived and, um, we were married about a year and a half later. Nice. Yeah. I, there are a lot of people, I think my intuition is that there's a lot of, um, younger folks that listen to this podcast who either are in college or just got into youth ministry or something like that. And I know that the, the discernment of ministry is, can be difficult for a lot of people. I mean, it was difficult for me Mm -hmm. and you know, um, not difficult. It's, it's it's a lot like discerning. Mm -hmm. Do I want to work for the church? Can I do this? Is this a valid, you know, career path? Uh, and then mm-hmm. also some of the guilts, like the guilt feelings, right? Like, so maybe you, I mean, I hear a lot, you know, my parents are just, you know, want me to get a real job or there's the pressure, especially when you're young, when you start, people are like, okay, so what's your plan? Like after this, uh, and then the guilt, I, sometimes right. I would feel about like, well, maybe that, maybe this, this urge to get into ministry and serve the church full time. Maybe that should have been because we're we're guys. Maybe that should have been a priest thing. Like maybe I should have discerned more seriously mm-hmm. the priesthood. And but how? Yep. I don't That's know. Right. If, you know, I think people would benefit from hearing us kind of unpack that a little bit. Like what that call to ministry like means, or like like working as a layperson in the church. At least in America, the way it seems right now, it feels new. It feels it doesn't feel like uh, feels like it's still an emerging. Field. And sometimes that's church ministry. It could be organizations and stuff like that. And it's still very yep. new. And there's still a lot of people that have no clue 
that, that it's like a viable option or how to go about discerning that or if it, that, if that's okay. Did, did I tell you that I called Franciscan university? Cause the only thing I knew, I, I just knew Scott Hahn books and I like called Franciscan university. And I was like, yeah. I think I want to be Scott Hahn. And they were like, that's not a career path. <laughs> that's not an option. Yeah. Not a career I was path. like, okay, well, well it, it was for him. I mean, yeah, that's true. <laughs> true. <laughs> Wait, so that's how you, I mean, that's how you ended up at Franciscan? Yeah. So like, I just knew I wanted to get involved. I didn't know that ministry full time was necessarily an option. I knew that some people did it, but it just felt like, like all you're seeing is these big, big, you know, some big Catholic speakers. So you're like, okay, well sure. maybe that's a possibility, but theologian felt like more like a career path. So I was just like, okay, well if I, if I did the Scott Hahn route, then I could somehow like, I don't know what I was thinking. I was just like theologian maybe, or like somehow working in the church in ministry. I didn't understand. I didn't know. And I wasn't exposed. I was not exposed to a lot of, um, very large Catholic, like youth ministry programs or anything. So yep. I didn't, yeah, my only, I. yeah, my only experience of working for the church was like seeing very, very old women kind of like working at very small parishes. So, so I was just like, okay, maybe this is like a retirement thing. Like, I don't understand I want yeah. I want to do something, and that's when I, that's when the admissions counselor Jamie Gonzalez, awesome guy, he uh, talked to me about the major catechetics and was like, "Here's a lot of different paths you could go with this route. Um, if you want to be a theologian, you could go that route." Uh, and so as I started getting into the studies, then I was like, "Okay, theologian is not. I don't want to be in journal articles and like scholarly papers for the rest of my life. Like it's fun to read a Scott Hahn book, but I'm not, I'm not that academic person, you know." Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think, I think it is, I, well, I would say, I would say life teen as an organization opened up a lot of possibilities nationwide for people to think differently yeah. about ministry, but primarily youth ministry. Yeah. And so I, I would say that that has made a significant impact, but then you would have like, okay, life teen is one model. And then you have like Steubenville conferences is another where you kind of see people acting in a public way, lay people in ministry or something. But you're you're right. Um, it if you didn't come from kind of a strong youth ministry background, or you came from maybe a small parish where there wasn't a whole lot of resources, it's not something that um, it's not something that is a natural kind of question that people would ask. Like they might want to be a pharmacist or a banker or a teacher, you know? Um, and, and, and I think for good reason, because it's not, it's not like there's a lot of horizontal and vertical options, horizontal, like there's just a really small number of things you could do. Uh, and then vertically, there's only so many steps you can take in a, in a church, maybe in an archdiocese, but that's a whole nother beast. So, uh, you know, organizations like Focus or SPO or some other uh, organizations like that is beginning to, to show more options. But you're absolutely right. I, I, I felt the same way. I, I didn't know where to begin. Yeah. Uh, and, and I didn't have any kind of example either and, know, and, from, and, from and, high school. And I think for a lot of people, anyone you meet, like, like it's, it's rare to find someone – like when I would encounter someone, like when I was in college and I would encounter someone that was a full-time 
campus minister. It was like a unicorn, like, oh, full-time right. young adult campus ministry. Like, that's crazy. And then you'd ask them kind of about their story, and it'd be some weird thing. Like, I was in real estate, and then I then the pastor, you know, I was volunteering, and then the pastor was like, what if I hire you part-time? You know, and so so you're yep. just like, okay, so so obviously there's not there's not like a path I need to go for this. Um, so I think more and more coming, you know, yeah, I just, I, I look around at social media and I'm, I'm imagining what I would have perceived if I was in high school or college and could hear or see of people working for some of these large Catholic organizations, you know, looking at people as like, you know, marketing directors and content directors and, right. and different missionaries right. and full and all this stuff. I, I probably would have been, been much more open to the idea a lot sooner. Well, because did you not, did you, what did you do right after? I mean, do, I mean, what, what did you do right out of Franciscan? Did you go into youth ministry right out? Yeah. Of yeah. So, right. Yeah. So, okay. I, so I was at Georgia tech for a, a year and a half, almost two years, um, uh, in Atlanta for, um, yep. for my, yeah, for my undergrad. And then I transferred to Franciscan and then, right. and then when I was at Franciscan, that's when I got really, really focused on youth ministry and then, yeah, we, I graduated two weeks later, I got married. And then two weeks later, we started our first job out in Toledo, Ohio in youth ministry. Toledo. Nice. Yeah. Well, so, the, so then, yeah, um, that's, I mean, and while in Franciscan, did you, did you major in catechetics or? Yeah. Catechetics and theology. Do, do, they, have, do they have a youth ministry yeah, they have, specialization too? Yeah. They have like a youth ministry focus. Yeah, so I got yeah. like, like dual dual degrees, and so while I was doing the theology studies, when we would do ones that were more focused on, um, you know, exegesis and that kind of stuff, and we get really deep into the research, and you start getting a sense for what you know a theologian would be doing with their, you know, it's like it's like being a philosopher, right? It's like you're just, right. you're reading books, <laughs> you're you're reading journals and academic papers, and you're and you're just super steeped in like two lines out of Isaiah. You know, it's just and it's just <laughs> yeah. like it's just it, you know some people are really called to that, and I was like, oh man, definitely not that. It was definitely being with people, being creative, coming up with ideas, figuring out how to solve this huge vision focused challenge. So for me, that Absolutely. was and then the other thing, honestly, was um was when I started coming across more and more lay men and women who had families that were very mission oriented, they're very, um, they were working for a church and their whole family was supported by that in, you know, not they're not getting rich on it, but they were supported. Like they had just made a decision to be this idea of being a missionary in America. Like they worked for a church and they, they opened their family to this community and they were just in it for the long haul. And that, that was really what helped me discern that. Um, so I think maybe even just, you know, if pe- I'm trying to think of people listening, like if you just hearing these things and knowing that it's even possible is, is huge for discerning that. It, it is. And well, it, you know, I feel like it is possible long term, but it's hard. Yeah. It's, like yeah. it's, 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 you have to make, you have to make some strategic decisions about how you're going to navigate a whole host of things as far as providing for your family. And again, I, I do, I do think that's changing and it's, there are, you know, many more opportunities and isn't just like I'm a youth minister or DRE at a parish there, there are more and more opportunities to, to actually specialize 
in something along, you know, administration or, or marketing or writing or, you know, yeah. development or whatever it might be. Um, but it is, it is, uh, you do have to make some, yep. You have to, you, it's a sort of plan on some sacrifices yeah. that you and your spouse have to be on the same page about, because I think to make it long term, uh, you have to live, I think a particular within a particular means. Yeah. So. Yeah. I want I wanted to talk to you about that. Cause, cause you've been, cause ever since making that decision to, you know, work at the Newman center, like you've been in ministry in some way, shape or form. Mm-hmm. Like, yep. I, I mean, you, you could say it as a primary, like your primary thing for the last 22 years has been ministry yep. pretty much. Right. Yep. Yep. And that, you know, that's inspiring. That is, that's, that's always been not always since Franciscan that's kind of been the the goal is like, I didn't want to, yeah, I didn't want to go anywhere else. I wanted to, I want like that. That seems like in some ways the only prize that really matters is actually lasting, <laughs> you know, like actually making it, yeah. uh, yep. you know, God willing, but I don't know, maybe you could talk a little bit about the difficulties of that or like throughout yeah. that process of, being in ministry for that long, um, like you said, it t- it's, it's freaking hard. It is hard. Cause it's not only, uh, I mean, I, I feel like the, again, I think the church is doing a better job of understanding what just, just wages sh- should look like yeah. for its employees. Um, and providing, you know, full health benefits and just all the rest. Um, but at the same time, there's also an incredible amount of demands on, on people's time. So that can kind of push somebody in a, in a particular kind of way. There's often, you know, lots of evenings and weekend commitments. And so you feel like you have to become an expert in, in time management and setting boundaries and living frugally. And like, I don't know, like it's, it's this combination of, of kind of persevering through a bunch of different hurdles and obstacles. And I, I wish it, I wish it didn't kind of feel like that, but I, that's been my, that's been my experience. And we had a kind of an interesting turning point a few years ago. Uh, I won't go into all of the details um, cause it gets into some of the stuff with my kind of family life. But when we, when we adopted kids through, through foster care, um, it just provided a whole host of, of, of challenges and it kind of forced my wife and I to, to look differently at, at work and, you know, would, would I step back? Um, and could we take a, an even further kind of cut in salary so as to be able to stay home? Mm. And, um, we were able to do that about five years ago that I went down to kind of part time with SPO I would do some speaking on the side as well to kind of help add a little bit of resources. And we had some other kind of county services that our family qualified for because of adoption and foster care. Yeah. So that helped to kind of round the whole thing out. But it was really a fascinating moment where um, Jesus reminded me, and I remember it very clearly kind of in prayer, that my job wasn't to work full time. My job was to provide for my family. Mm-hmm. And I, I had to like shed that idea that to be valuable as a man, as a, as a dad, as a husband, that I had to 
or not even as a dad and a, as a husband, but just as a man that my, my value so often came from what I produced and my title and what I had accomplished. And if you only work half time, you're like kind of, you're kind of like Mr. Mom half time and, or whatever, <laughs> Mr. Dad. Yeah. And then the other time you're like doing your thing. The Lord had to, you know, said your, your, your job isn't to, your job isn't to work full time. That why has that ever been a requirement? Yeah. And, but your job is to provide. And, and so are you providing for your family? And the answer was, yeah. Yeah. So like I, and then this freedom came that, um, I'm free as long as I'm providing and my wife and I are providing for our family to respond to how the Lord may direct me. Um, and that was a really important turning point. And that's been, that was about five years ago. And, um, I've gone up a few hours, um, from, from half time, but basically I'm, I'm still about half time with SPO and we're, we, we knew we needed to get our kids through high school. And there was like a 10 year window. Like I need to be more present at home. I need to support my wife. Uh, we have a bunch of kind of challenges with, with our kids. Um, and it's going to take the two of us investing in that. And then we'll figure out work stuff later, like beyond high school or whatever. But for now, that's kind of what the Lord invited us into. And I, actually, this is crazy. It was our, um, it was like our, it was our 15th wedding anniversary. And we went to see freaking Hunger Games 2 or something. <laughs> Very, very life-changing film. It, well, no, it was. It, it, what's her name? Katniss? Yeah. Right, Katniss. My wife was like, <laughs> she would hate this if I to- I'm telling this story. But, <laughs> no, one's, uh, no one's listening. She was like, she was, yeah, that's right. She was so inspired like by Katniss's willingness to like give her life for this cause. You know? Yeah. She's like, that's what I want to, you know, it really spoke to her. Like, that's what I want to do. Like, whatever it is, I want to give my whole life to it. And we both sort of sat there eating like Mexican food and chips afterwards. And we're in this small little Missouri town with the, the theater that had like six, six, you know, movies or whatever. <laughs> and, um, and there we were after hunger games too. And, and Jesus said, I, I want to invite you to, to reexamine how you approach work and to kind of drop your addiction to it and drop your attachment to it. And you're not defined by, what you do, you're going to provide for your family, and I'm going to, I'm going to work through you in that. But you got to let it go because that's not the like the that's not the goal. And um, so that was really powerful, and and has has been kind of the the paradigm that we've how we've viewed work since then. Yeah, um, it's not that work isn't the goal, but to provide for our family is whatever whatever that may whatever that may look like. Yeah, I've I've struggled with with that a little bit too. Cause uh, you know, like, like, like we talked about, like at Franciscan, I'm seeing all these people that I want to model my life after that. I want to, you know, and I see the sacrifice and the, you know, the, the effort and the, you know, the giving of your whole life for a cause. And um, mm-hmm. yeah, it can, it can uh, something that I've been trying to work through a lot recently is trying to work, work through those feelings of guilt. And especially, I mean, this is probably just like distinctly, you know, problems of, of people just entering their thirties. Right. But it's like the guilt mm-hmm. of like, well, I'm, 
I'm not the type of parent that I perceived my parents to be, or I'm not the type of church minister that I'm perceiving the people I used to look up to or that I still look up to are. And that, and, and sometimes we can even get, even though we talk so much against, um, you know, the kind of mom sacrifice, uh, game that people play where it's like, you won't believe how over, overextended we are. Right. And it's like, you take this pride in being extremely overextended and exhausted. Like, you know, we, we, uh, we make fun of that, but, but I think there's like a ministry version of that where it's like, if I'm not sacrificing more, if there aren't more people in my home with problems, if I'm not having more people over for dinner, if I'm not extremely overworked by ministry, then am I doing, you know, good ministry? Am I, instead of, you know, you're, you're basing your effectiveness on, uh, some infatuated goal of what ministry should look like instead of just like you're saying, yep. like, like, does Jesus want you to, how does Jesus want you to be successful in this? And what, what kind of ministry right. is he calling you to? Yeah. Yeah. And like, just to get a, just to like make a really fine point or kind of a, a practical application for me, my work week was basically nine to two Monday through Thursday. And I couldn't, so anything on Friday, Saturday or Sunday or anything before nine or after two, I'm off limits. Like that's like, this is my work. And, and it was really, that was hard because you know how it goes. Yeah. There's emails and there's calls and Hey, can you make this meeting? And what about this? And, and no, you know? And, uh, so we had to get really kind of shrewd about what that looked like. And it was just, it was just so good to, to kind of begin to free me from the identity that I, gained in an unhealthy way from it. Yeah. And I remember again, the Lord kind of asked me, um, a question. Um, the question was, Ryan, what are you most eager to tell others about yourself? And what he, what, what I realized was I, I was just always eager to kind of tell people that I was in ministry or I was doing campus ministry. And there's always this kind of associated like affirmation and all oh, that's awesome. I love that. I love that you're doing that. And would just, I couldn't wait for people to ask. Yeah. And the Lord said, whatever your most, and again, I don't, I don't think this is like capital T truth, but the sense was whatever, whatever you're most eager to tell others about yourself is where you may be finding your identity. Mm. And that was really powerful for me. And, and again, so the, I think the whole experience has been experiencing this call and then sorting it out after, yeah. you know, cause I didn't have any examples of it. I didn't, like you said, I, I didn't really even know where to turn. And, um, I was in kind of a, a, you know, I was kind of this conservative Christian Catholic guy, but I was in this sort of, um, liberal kind of Catholic parish. And I didn't, I didn't know which way was up at all. And it just took all of these years to kind of keep sorting it out. But it was because of, a a pretty profound sense though. Like when the Lord spoke to me in Atlanta, it was very clear. Like this is what I, the Lord wanted me yeah. to do. And so I want to be faithful to that, but there's not a one size fits all. So I try to be faithful to that original call and at the same time be nimble and flexible and to grow, you know, throughout these last number of years. And I, I think there's going to be a bunch of other twists and turns to come. Yeah. Yeah. It's so crazy how, uh, you know, I think um, a lot of people have heard this maybe, but maybe some people haven't. But like the whole notion that 
the devil's not going to necessarily tempt you with something blatantly evil. He's going to tempt you with more, with a with a disproportionate good. That like when he took Jesus up on top mm. of when he showed mm. Jesus like the whole world, he's like, I give, I'll give you all of it. Just do like yeah. sacrifice this thing that seems yeah. small, and I'll give you all of it. And yeah, I've been realizing that more and more that like, especially for people who are called to work in the church, that Jesus, the devil isn't going to tempt you with. Some some people are probably tempted by really awful things, or we all are. But but the the devil more so tempts you by disproportionate like disproportionate attention to something that's a good thing. Like like one one of the things early on um, that I, I had to get better about was the time I spent with other people. Because if someone if someone comes into my office, uh, I've just always been this way. Like time slips away. Like I will I will sp- I will spend. I could I could be like about to eat for the first time in five days. But when someone comes in and starts talking about something that's on their heart or something, like I, I just, I turn on, like it just all is all yeah. in on that person. And, um, so that was something that I felt often was this huge temptation to something that seemed really good. It's like, well, like people are crying, like we're praying with each other. Like this is, this is, how do you, how do you just say, Hey, I don't have time. And so it took me a while. Like I used to always just like, no, I'm never going to be like, I don't have time, you know? Uh, but it's like, learn, it was, it was learning the, um, having the boundaries and limits. Like, yeah. okay, three hours well, is probably, <laughs> we should probably cap, we should start capping yeah. these. But, but don't you find too, though, that people actually, like they can, it can usually work. Like I, I found that if you set the boundaries that people, if, if it's important enough to them and it's important enough to you, you can usually figure something out. Yeah. Um, and so depending on, I mean, we, we tend to, you can fill up as much time as is available with whatever. And if, if you're sort of like, Hey, here are the three times a week I can meet. Usually that person can, yeah, it can work out. That's what I have found. And that surprised me because I, I, I was fearful of the same thing. Like, well, if I'm only working like eight, you know, 18 hours a week or whatever it ends up being 20 hours a week. Well, I, I'm not sure I'm going to be able to accomplish and meet with and do what I need to do. But amazingly, the Lord worked within those constraints. I, you probably experience this too, like in a creative sense, like the way that constraints actually can help create a better product yeah. than just everything's wide open, yeah. you know? And I don't know how that all works, but that's been my experience that constraints help. Yeah. And we ought to, we ought to put some, maybe even artificial constraints in, just to make things go, keep things moving and give things edges. And, you know, that's how, you know, inertia and friction works. They need an edge to grab onto. And, um, and it's been true. It's been great. Yeah. What, what's, um, for someone who doesn't necessarily feel the call or the need to go part time, I get the sense that someone could probably learn a lot from, like you're saying, like trying something like that or, or like artificially, you know, putting constraints or like what, what have been some Mm -hmm. of the things that you've learned or some of the things that you think are, um, transferable to other people working in the church who, who might be, you know, maybe they're in their 10th year and they're like, this is, this is, you know, my wife is telling me this is not feasible. They're discerning like getting out because it's just getting out of hand. Or maybe they're in their, their first year. I remember, you know, when our first year of ministry, it was just like, I had no boundaries of when I was coming home. I mean, I was spending, 
you know, 60 or 70 hours up at work all the time, just because, you know, not being prudent with my time. Yeah. But what are some of the things you've learned that you feel like yeah. could help people make, you know, go the distance? Yeah, I think the, um, I think, well, I think you have to distinguish, is it a time issue or is it a money issue? Like if they're experiencing the, the, the pinch, um, let's say in their marriage or in their family life, is it because of time or is it because of money or is it both? Uh, Money is a different story. Um, We could address that in a second, but I think if it's in terms of time, um, I think having a really, first of all, figuring out in the schedule, what is non-negotiable? And I'm guessing there's probably only a handful of things, two, three, four, five things a week that are like non-negotiable. And, and so starting there, but then after that, figuring out what with it, with hopefully with a very honest and open conversation uh, with your spouse, let's say if you're married about where, what are, what are their non-negotiables as well? So you marry work non-negotiables with your family non-negotiables, and then you, you kind of sort out the rest and realize that you, you probably don't need to be at everything. Yeah. And it, it might actually be a really good thing if you weren't. And if you started to look at what it would mean to actually leverage your leadership for the sake of raising up others and doing that on in time that works for you um, so that somebody else covers this thing or covers that, you know. So I guess what I'm saying is, is this is a really solvable thing for people. It's just that we don't often realize the power we have over what we say yes to and what we say no to. Yeah. And that most pastors, most employers are really willing to be flexible. If you're doing good work, Yeah, they're, they're going to work with you uh, to the degree that you're getting the job done and it works for your family. I think everybody, any employer would say, I want this to work for you work for us and work for your family. So let's figure out. It's just people don't have that conversation. They just default into I'll I'll do every I'll basically do everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then and then that doesn't work, you know, and you know that. Yeah. Um so I think I think it's starting with non-negotiables from the family and the work side and then working towards um a schedule and then, you know, you you got to have some accountability uh and figure out some ways to I mean, I remember my wife would be so frustrated. Like I would get home, one, I'd be late. And two, um, I would not only be late, but I'd be late in the garage on the phone because I couldn't go into the home with a call. She would yeah. kill me. Yeah. But she, she would open the door and look out in the garage like, what the, you know. I've done that, get yeah. in here. Yeah. You know, isn't that terrible? What are we I'm doing? I'm like walking you know? around the neighborhood. She's like seeing me walking yeah. down the neighborhood. She's yeah. like, how long have you been here? I was just walking right. up and down the street. Right, Or or I'll park like down the street, like, you know, you know, like the Comcast guy does He's yeah. like waiting for yeah. the time to show up. And then he arrives, you know, I'm like parking, like, what is this creeper doing? It's well, it's my neighborhood. You know? Anyway, your wife goes but to yeah, the grocery I mean, store and sees you parked two blocks down. Yeah, totally. She's like, Oh, you've been, I mean, that's, yeah. Oh, and she would not have any time yeah. for that. So anyway, well, well, good for her. What were yeah. some, were there any things as you, when you had to make that transition to, to part-time, were there any little things just uh, at work, like little things with email or little things with coworkers? Was it was there any um, 
small thing. Like you kind of mentioned one, but like small, like a small uh, tweak that you were any other ones that you were surprised work so well and we're and like kind of clean yeah. things up make things really efficient because i think for a lot of people listening to this yeah. if you're in ministry th- these types of experiments you just don't you don't think about it like b- before yeah. when i felt really overworked and i used to say with everyone oh youth ministers have to work 70 hours a week like that's just a thing I just hadn't tried the experiment of setting times to go home every day and setting times that I'm in. I just hadn't tried. I was like, no, there's no way it would work. And then once you do that, all this other fluff kind of, you just realize, wow, I didn't realize an hour and a half lunch actually is probably a little too long, you know, like, or you just start realizing those things. So were there any little things that, um, that were big, like aha moments, like, wow, I, I didn't believe that in a ministry context that would work with my coworkers or, or things like that. Yeah. Um, there, there were a bunch of there were a bunch of different things. Um, one, one was actually coming into that. Well, my, my so I had this realization again. This is for me when I was working part time. But like, let's say you would go to a, you'd have an hour long meeting. Well, for me, that was like the equivalent of a two hour meeting, or like an hour and a half lunch was like a three hour lunch. So I had to immediately kind of recalibrate what was a reasonable amount of time for me to be a part of something? Yeah. So um, what would end up happening uh, a lot, because I was a part of a leadership team, and thankfully my supervisor would say, well, you don't have to be, because I would say I can't take, you know, four hours today to be in this leadership team meeting, because that's like an eight-hour day for you guys. Um, so could I, could I just show up at the beginning deal with the stuff that needs my input in a particular way. I'll review the notes at the end and and give you any more feedback. And they'd say, yeah, you know, so it'd be like a 30 minute thing or a 45 minute thing. Well, that was the difference between a four hour meeting, like a 45 minute thing. Yeah. And so I always had to keep that idea in mind. Now that doesn't always work if you're, if you're full time, but what does work I think is, is speaking up. And being willing to kind of challenge the way that things are set up and ask, you know, is this the most efficient way we could handle this? Yeah. Because um, I was a, I mean, I'm a, I'm a people pleaser to the core and it had to really test me because I wasn't going to be able to succeed unless I put some things into practice uh, to kind of help. Um, and so rather than scheduling like an hour long meeting to default, my default was, you know, 15 minutes or 30 minutes. And again, you can, you can get more than enough done if you're, yeah. if you have an idea that we've got, you know, 10 minutes, five minutes, you can get what you need done. Yeah. But I, I think in ministry, there's just this sense of no boundaries and everything is good. And gosh, you know, so I guess what I found was I was able to basically do my job in about half the time. Yeah. And what does that, what does that say? And, um, you know, so that was, that was a great realization. Um, and then there's a bunch of little like tools, but I I found this great tool called you can book me. Oh yeah. I don't know about you, but do do you use that? I've used it before. I I keep telling myself I need to go back into it and figure out how to use it in my work. It's so great. It's so great. Um, but, um, tell people what it, well, what it, well, what it is, you can book me. I think it's YCBM you can book me dot me. And I don't know about you, but like in ministry, it's always about 
lining up schedules. Yeah. Like getting time with somebody is so hard. Well, what, what you do is you put this, you put the times you're available to meet. Like for me, it was like nine to two Monday through Thursday. And then it, uh, it also blocks off your, your scheduled meetings. So it just shows in 30 minute increments when you're available. And so, Hey, can we get together next week? Here's my availability, grab a time. And just little, that one little change, and because I'm scheduling, you know, five to eight different meetings every week with yeah. a variety of people around the country. Yeah. And just, I, I could nail those um, just like that, rather than all the back and forth, either on the phone or text or email. Yeah. That one tool has really saved me. The other thing I would say is um, when you have a limited amount of time, you got to get really clear on what's most important and go like, what must, what, like, what do I have to get done today? Yeah. And if you took that attitude, even if it was four days a week or five days a week, what if you got five really crucial things done this week? Everyone would go, that'd be amazing. Yeah. Cause most of the weeks I, I almost feel like I get nothing important done, much less five. Yeah. But that's only just deciding I'm going to do one super important. And so I had to do that. So that's really helped teach me something too, just about focusing on what is going to provide the most value and help move the needle the most um, in my in my responsibilities. If I got that done today, or if I got those three things done this week, what would that be? Yeah. Again, we know these things, but because I was working part time, I had to really, I had to, it was like do or die with that. What, what's um, your position as content director at SPO? Yeah. What is that specifically in, involved with, or like, is that? That's content. Yeah. Yeah. So we have con- we have like a content or we have like a, a curriculum. Yeah. For all of our staff, all of our and all of our students. Yeah. Uh, in terms of like for our staff, it's it's basically how to do their job, and uh, the the theological and practical, the theological kind of training, but also the the practical kind of hands on training. So I'm in charge of of overseeing and developing and refining our training curriculum for our staff. And we have similar processes for programs and resources for our students. And so you, I'm over, I oversee that department and I've got a guy who's primarily doing the student stuff. Do you mean me. staff as in, uh, like, I don't know how to say this, like yeah, in SPO's organization, or do you mean staff that are out on college campuses? Uh, well, it's all one thing, meaning um, any missionary who's employed by SPO and they're on a campus, they're considered part of SPO staff. Okay. So there's like, let's say, 120 missionaries yeah. in the field. And so ba- basically for the 120 missionaries in the field, I'm in charge of their the, the content or the curriculum, uh, the training curriculum for them. Yeah. That's something we're thinking about a lot at our parish and just, I I'm thinking about a lot is like, I I'm, I'm starting to now in my thirties, like understand these things that have just been around for a long time that when you're younger, you're just like, Oh, this is stupid. But like the employee handbook type thing. I mean, like, I know that's, <laughs> right. I know that's not what this is, but like this idea of, and I think, um, I also was struck by life teen missionaries when they would do, um, they have like the, they had like for a long time, I don't know if they still have this, but like the rule of life. And like yep. when it, it, um, when I was at Covecrest, we were there one year where they let us go do liturgy of the hours every morning. And so they would do liturgy of the hours, but they would read from like just one part of 
the rule of life. And it was, and it was soaked in scripture. It wasn't, it wasn't like uh, make sure to turn in your expense reports or something, you know, like it was just very yep. like some of the cultural values and stuff. Is that, is that kind of, That's I mean, I know there's, you have the training curriculum to get to onboard someone, but is it, is it kind of like this, here's what our culture is. Here's what we're about. Here's what being a missionary mm-hmm. in SPO is. Yeah. I mean, that, that comes out um, through, we usually have a mid-year um, staff retreat. And so there's lots of themes that we work in, in, in that context. Uh, but they're in, um, we also have a kind of a formation curriculum for our students. Um, and so we have students and staff who are living in household and they're also going through kind of a, a spiritual formation process as well. So that's a lot of what kind of governs the the rule of life, if you will, for yeah. SPO missionaries and, and students who are involved in formation and household. Yeah. Not not unlike not unlike uh, Franciscan. Yeah. Um, in terms of a you know whatever that kind of way of life would look like in community, you know, as a as a college student. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Uh, well, shifting gears real quick. Is there any, there were other things we wanted to talk about, but I keep, I keep blanking on, um, I mean, I feel like, uh, jumping, we've talked about some awesome, I've just kind of followed my interest in this and like tried to pick your brain, pick your brain. But are there any other things that you wanted to bring up or, uh, wanted the good people at home to hear about? Um, you know, well, uh, I mean, the one thing that we didn't, we didn't talk a whole lot about was, was the, uh, kind of foster care and adoption and that's a yes. huge deal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um but um I've told you right that my, ju- my wife and I have been my wife for as long as I've known her, she has brought up foster care. Like and and mm. there, there's no one in her life that has done it. There's no foster care and adoption. She's always brought it up and it seems like every year like the first year we we knew each other, it was like she mentioned it once. The second year we knew each other, it was like twice. It just every year has become again it just gets brought up, and then that uh, that Mark Wahlberg film uh, just yeah, released. About, family, yeah, yeah. Um, so it's been something. Just and then we had a professor, uh, Dr. James Pauly, is a, uh, was foster and I think adopted as well. And then so it just kind of has come up. It's just kind of yeah, like I can't seem to get away from it. It just keeps coming up. And then um, it was partially why this video, like I just, you know, it was one of the first times I saw someone make you know, a, a, a pretty strong statement about like, if, if we're going to be really pro-life, like you said in the video, like put your money where your mouth is like, are we ready? Or is there anyone ready to, to, to do this type of thing? Um, so it's re- it's an interesting topic that like my wife and I are trying to pray through and, and, and take slowly, but it just keeps coming up. And so anyway, sorry, just to say that, like, well, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, I, I mean, here's here's my basic take on it. Um, is it's a I used the word solvable earlier. Like our schedules are solvable. This is not the same kind of thing. But like this is a foster care is a solvable humanitarian crisis. Like it's 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 something that if the church decided to take care of every kid in foster care, there's way more happy, healthy, holy. Catholic pro-life families than there are kids who are looking for homes. Yeah. And by an order of magnitude of 10, you know, or whatever. Um, now some local areas might have smaller Catholic community. I mean, it's not even a Catholic community. I just mean like 
the Christian church at large can solve it. And what we're seeing, actually, I was really inspired to think this way, because there are a lot of kind of evangelical Protestant churches who in certain communities have basically wiped out the need. And they've basically just been able to take care of, let's say, in a small town or a county in, you know, Tennessee. Um, the 42 kids in foster care are are taken care of. Dang. And, you know, these eight churches partnered up and, you know, got 85 people licensed and they're just ready should things come. Wow. Like, isn't that, isn't that how it should be? You know, like it's, it, and yet, um, it's just not because we haven't put our minds and our hearts to figuring that problem out. And so it's certainly not a call for everybody, but I think it's a call for a lot more than are currently aware of it or hearing it. And, um, as, as I thought about, or as sort of, we looked at like the specter of, of a Trump presidency. And I'll tell you, that was as hard as anything for me to swallow. I don't, I don't <laughs> yeah. want to get political yeah. right now, but, um, yeah. but, but I thought, you know, and I, well, I, I didn't vote for the guy, but, um, anyway, uh, so, but then, so, so, so then he started like racking up Supreme court judges. It wasn't just going to be one. Now it was going to be two. And I'm like, Oh my gosh. You know? And so like, if, if the court is swinging in a more conservative direction, maybe, maybe Roe v. Wade is overturned. Yeah. And that's what, that's what got the wheels turning in my mind and heart. Well, yeah. Okay. Well, what, what would that actually mean if there's less access to abortion, which is what we all want in the pro-life movement. We want less access. In fact, we want no access, no legal access to abortion, if possible. Yeah, but that doesn't—that doesn't mean you're going to have no, no more crisis pregnancies. Yeah, it just means you're going to have more crisis pregnancies that will likely go to term. And then what's that going to mean? And crisis pregnancies often become crisis families, not always, but yeah. oftentimes. And crisis families need the support of, of foster and adoptive families to help them navigate the journey. Yeah. And, and so it just sort of made sense, um, which is why I put the video together the way I did. But mostly it was to, to put a spotlight on um, a, an op, something, something that we could get really tangible. Well, I, I, I think our families, our, our Catholic families, are some of the richest places on earth, you know. Yeah. And I would love for more people uh who are in need to experience the grace and the goodness of a healthy holy happy catholic family life yeah um and we're often so kind of consumed just with what's going on between our four walls it's hard to kind of look outside but what we found is that our four walls are stronger it's a better environment uh the more open we are to people outside of it and it actually has made things easier when we've brought maybe kids in distressed realities into our home. And that's counterintuitive. Yeah. Um, but that's what we've experienced. And I mean, it hasn't been without its challenges. I mean, it's been, it's been a really, a really difficult process becoming, fo- you know, doing foster care. And, um, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't trade it. 
wouldn't trade it for the world. And I'm so grateful that the Lord uh, called us into that. And we had kind of the grace to respond and, um, it's been, it's been, it's been awesome. How long, how long are, uh, kids normally in, like, how does that work? I think for a lot of people they yeah. just don't even, I mean, they kind of have an idea of adoption, but like foster care is something that's, it's, uh, it le- like less understood. I think yep. at least for me, like I didn't really understand it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the basic idea is that there are kids everywhere who, um, who experience, let's say abuse or neglect or their home is not deemed safe or, you know, a good place for them to be. And so the, the local county or government um, pulls them out of those unsafe places and looks for a safe place for them to live temporarily. And that's the whole idea, first and foremost. It's, it's meant to be temporary. Yeah. So Because family reunification is always the goal for, for foster care. Yeah. Now, sometimes family reunification isn't possible. Um, and so if it isn't, then they look for a permanent home. Then the, So if the family doesn't work, or if like a relative of that family doesn't work, then they usually look at the, the foster family mm-hmm. and say, would you be open to adopting? Yeah. And if, they're, if they have both, uh, if they're licensed as foster parents and licensed as adoptive parents, they could say yes. And that's what happened with us. Um, each of our four sons. So we had like 13 kids come through the home in about two years. And four of them, um, four of them stuck around. Wow. And that's because we were, we were licensed as foster and adoptive homes. Yeah. Home. How, how- so yeah, it's, it's a temporary, a temporary solution for, to help kids, you know, uh, help families get their feet back on the ground yeah. and kids to be in a safe, a safe place. How long on average are foster kids? Like, is it always that quick or, um, you know, I, I did know, uh, I had a friend in high school who was with foster parents and I think, I mean, he was there for maybe two or three years. And so I, yeah. I'm not sure what the, the length is or, yeah, well, it's, um, it depends on the, the state or the county. So we were in Arizona when we were when we were licensed foster parents, and Arizona did I think a pretty good job of of moving quickly towards permanency, which means they had like a fifteen month window that they want kids if they're once they enter the system, they want to have some kind of permanent resolution within fifteen months. Wow, and that's great for families. That's great for the kids because a lot of times you can know pretty quickly our family's going to sort it out or not. Yeah. And if they're not, then they want to move towards permanency. So for each of our kids, we had, we went from kind of foster care to adoption in kind of 15 to, to 20 months. Wow. And so, and that all happened like concurrently. So we went from zero to four kids in about 18 months. And then, based on when they entered into the home, they were adopted, you know, that much longer after. Wow. Um, so yeah, we went from zero to four in four kids in about two years and Dang. it was nuts. So was, is that a challenge with kids? I mean, coming in and out so quickly on the other kids that you have adopted, is that kind of like a, I don't know. I mean, yeah. How, what are the ages of, what, what, what are kind of like the average ages of a lot of these kids? 
you mean any kid in foster care? Or sure. Yeah. You mean our kids? Well, I guess both. Like, I mean, when I mean, because I'm just imagining the horrible, awful things that our own kids say. I can't imagine like my three year old being like, "Well, you know, it's just, you know, hopefully you get lucky and our parents keep you." You know, like that kind of stuff. Oh, like, yeah, I mean, yeah, just, yeah, yeah. With so many kids coming in and out, I'd be so scared of like, please don't say anything that's gonna <laughs> that's gonna just like damage this poor kid who's with oh. us for six months or ten months or you know. Yeah, well, if I'm honest, I'm probably more worried about my behavior than my <laughs> my kid's behavior, right? Um, you know, yeah, because it's it's hard, but uh, you know, no. So I mean, it's anything from from you know one day old to yeah. seventeen years and yeah. three hundred and sixty four days old. Yeah, just depends. Uh, but for us, we um, our all of the all of our placements were kind of under. Really, most of them were under one years. Well, no, it was kind of half was like under one. And the other half was like one to five. And so they were, they were mostly younger kids. Yeah. Um, the the th- three of the four that we adopted came, all came into our home under six months. In fact, what my, my youngest son, Adam, uh, he came in, he came home, he came to our home when he was three days old. And that was kind of a funny story. Um, we had three kids and my wife was like, Ryan, I really would love to have another placement. I'm like, you know, my head spinning and okay, four, you know, I mean, we just kind of got used to three. We're kind of working this out. And, um, and so we went to, we went out to eat that night. It was a Sunday night and we said, okay, you know, let's, let's legit like pray about this this week and we'll make a decision a week from now. Okay. Well, Sunday goes by Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, I come home and I, I walk in the front door through the living room and kind of look down and there's this child I had never seen before in a, <laughs> in like a car seat. And I didn't think much of it and then walked to the bedroom and then it hit me like, Oh my gosh, Jill. Whoa. What? Who, who's that? You know? And she's like, I'm so sorry. I tried to, I tried to call you, but you didn't pick up. And I'm like, I didn't pick up. I mean, she's like, I just couldn't say no, you know? And so that's, that's Adam. Um, but that's just my wife, you know, she was just like, bring, bring it on. Yeah. And, um, and, and that was, uh, I love, love him to death. I, I mean, that was, that was one of the best decisions she ever made. And, and it wasn't because I was comfortable with it. Yeah. It wasn't because I was ready for it, but was it the right thing to do? And has God worked through that? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So I don't know, you know, it's a, it's, um, it's one of those things, again, not everybody is called, but what if more people, especially now here's the thing, especially like good, like big, happy, healthy, holy Catholic families. Yeah. Like that's the kind of environment that you can absorb someone into. Yeah. Our our challenge was we didn't have this, this sort of stable culture. And so we had kind of a chaos culture because all the kids came from this background or that background or this difficulty matches with this challenge. And, you know, and we were just trying to figure it all out. Well, it was, it was pretty chaotic and still is, but what if you've got like, like a big homeschool family, like I've seen so, so many kids in foster care kind of come into that environment and just get swept up into it in a good way. Mm, yeah. And it's actually a lot of those families who think it's not for us. Yeah. But I think it's precisely those families who ought to think about 
the gift of their family life as being a, a benefit uh, to others who are who are looking for just that, who are looking for a safe, happy, healthy place to be. Yeah, and that, that's kind of how I see it. And I I think this is something that the church could solve in a local area if if we had our minds right about doing it and our hearts right. And we just got people positioned to help make it happen. And uh, that's what I'd love to see. Man, yeah, that would be awesome. I mean, like, you know, we talk so much about evangelization and, and putting on, you know, these ministries and, and uh, small groups and programs and, and endeavors at our parishes. But I wrote an article, a kind of, you know, tongue in cheek saying I have the best youth ministry program in the world. I have the perfect youth ministry model. And I just like talked about, but basically I was saying like my, my family, like my family is the perfect youth ministry model, like the best relational ministry, right. For the rest of their lives, like providing everything with them, spending tons of time with them, doing all, you know, all the teaching myself, all that. And, uh, well, you know, when you think about that, that's kind of what to bring this full circle. That's what brought me into, um, into ministry was this idea of using our family, um, to evangelize, to welcome people into. So it's really cool. Like, I think more people, should discern that. How would, how would someone, uh, how do you suggest people start discerning that if they're hearing this and they're like, you know, it would be cool if our parish or if, if a few of us or me and my wife, you know, started looking into doing this, how would you recommend, would you recommend like finding other people at your parish and saying, Hey, like I, I, I heard about this. Like, what if we, what if we started talking about this or getting support from their yep. parish or, or just doing it on their own at first discerning a little bit or. Yeah. Well, I mean, certainly they, they ought to be number one, talking to their, talking to their spouse and, uh, talking about, well, talking with their spouse and praying, but, but practically they, they need to find somebody they know, either call them up on the phone or meet with them in person. Like if they're not in town, but connect with somebody who's doing it to learn more about, about the experience and, just to hear, to hear kind of all sides of, of what the, the challenges, the demands, the, the blessings, the opportunities are. So I think that was the thing we didn't do enough. That's why I stress it. We didn't do enough of like actually hearing the reality of it. It was just kind of this beautiful ideal. Yeah. And, and I don't know how, where we were of, of, of the legit challenges of it. Yeah. Because uh, you're bringing what you're doing is you are bringing kids who have experienced some amount of trauma into your home, and the saying goes, "Hurt people, hurt people." Mm. So you're bringing people who have been hurt. It's like if, it's like you try to you try to like soothe a, a wounded a wounded animal. Like that's you, you got to be careful with that, right? Yeah. Um, but it's the same kind of thing, They're, and it's through no fault of their own. But they're they're gonna act out in ways that are connected to their trauma. Yeah. So that will be a part of the narrative in your home in some way. And you're also you're also not just opening your heart to these kids. If you're being honest and you're doing it right, you're opening your heart to these families that they come from and a willingness to engage with pretty messy situations. Yeah. And likely if you ended up adopting, perhaps open adoptions because it all started off open. And 
and especially if the kid's old enough, they're going to know their, their birth family and how could you take them away from me? I mean, it's just, it's really complicated. Yeah. So I think talking to somebody who has experience that you trust, you know, or they have a good relationship with that they can be honest with you and you can ask honest questions, obviously without divulging things about those kids. Cause that's their story, Yeah. you know, but, but talking to people, praying, and um, just learning in your local area, like how would somebody in my town get certified? And there are there there's all sorts of options online. You know, to you just go to your local county website, yeah. and look up foster care, and uh, you can get more information there. Are there any other resources online that you found particularly helpful, or any other? Resources, you know, like um, what I could say this, I, not, nothing's coming right to mind. I mean, there are a bunch that come to mind. One, I'll send you something you could cool. throw in the show notes. Yeah. Like a, a website. Cause I actually, you know what? Um, any, any links. I, yeah. I think, um, so there's a blog, well, there's the blog post that connected to the video okay. that you could throw in the show notes. Cause there's some links there, if I'm not mistaken, to get people to head, to help people go in the right direction and everything I've just sort of described is also kind of written on that, on that page as well. Cool. Awesome. That's inspiring, Ryan. Like, thank you for sharing that and thank you for your video. And, um, yeah, thanks for just coming on. This has been, we, we struggled, we struggled to find a date. I should have, I should have, I should have, uh, clicked your, you can book me. I should have been using that more to, to schedule, <laughs> to schedule this. But yeah, um, I think I sent you one of those, uh, yeah, those a long time ago. So, yeah. 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 Uh, so thanks for coming That's on, cool, man. man. I'm, I'm really inspired by you and your story and, um, yeah, man, next time you're in Dallas, we got to have you on, on live. Dude, I would love that. I mean, that would be the ne- it's the next best thing to, I yeah. feel like I'm there, but yeah. to really be there would be, yeah, yeah. Would be got, awesome. Yeah, we got to have And I got to try this Topa, Topa Chico. Oh, yeah, I man. I, I, I've i never even had one of those, oh, so we'll have to share it's one. It's sweeping the nation. We got plenty of it here, too. Is it? Yeah. Okay, that's good. Uh, where All can right, people man. go, Ryan, to find you online or if they want to get in touch with you or, um, yeah, just just your yeah. kind of stuff, your website or stuff like that? Yeah, yeah ryanohara.org is probably the best place, ryanohara.org. Okay, cool. And uh, there's social links there uh, as well. Sweet. Awesome, Ryan. Thanks for being on. You bet. Thanks, Edmund. It's been great. 